and welcome to the MB Om podcast, where you will learn to master the business of yoga with guests from around the world who have experienced becoming successful yoga teachers, studio owners, and much more. Now, here's your host, Amanda Kingsmith. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the MBOM podcast. I'm super excited to be kicking off season three after a number of months on season break. I've been recording lots of episodes in the background. So I'm super excited to be sharing all this content and learning with you guys. So excited, in fact, that I'd actually originally planned in my production schedule to have this as a solo episode. And I was just too excited to share some of the episodes and dive into the content. So that solo episode will wait for another day. And today I have two very awesome guests for you. But before we dive into that, two quick announcements. The first announcement is that I have created a private Facebook group just for you business yogis. It's called Yoga Business Badasses, and it's all about sharing your challenges and your successes with your yoga business and learning from other yoga entrepreneurs. And I was hesitant to do this because there's a lot of private groups on Facebook specifically for yoga and even yoga business. But I think that every different group offers something unique and I hope that you'll join me there. So you can find that link on the description for this podcast episode on the show notes at mbomyoga.com or on Facebook. And you can just Google yoga business badasses, and I'll get you access to the group. Second announcement. I have partnered with bookyogaretreats.com for this season of the podcast. And the reason why I've decided to do this is bookyogaretreats.com was actually the first place that I found a yoga retreat a number of years ago. I was really happy with the experience, um, both the yoga retreat and the bookyogaretreats.com actual website marketplace. And one of the reasons that I really love it is that you're able to sort by destination that you want to go to, style of retreat or training that you're going to go to, dates, price, etc. So it makes it really easy to find exactly what you want. And then on the yoga teacher side, it's a great, great, great way to market your yoga retreat or your yoga teacher training. So if that's something that you're interested in, if you're interested in attending a retreat or hosting a, tr a retreat, definitely check it out at www.mbomyoga.com forward slash book yoga retreats. Okay, enough of the announcements and on to today's episode. I have two special guests with me today by the names of Sandy Connery and Jennifer Barcelos, and they are joining me from Namastream. And I'm nearly certain that some of you, if not all of you, have already heard of Namastream. It's a really awesome yoga software. It's not so much a marketplace as they explain in the episode, but it's more of a online platform that allows yoga teachers to kind of build an online studio to supplement their income. And so they're here today to share what it's been like working in the yoga industry, how they got there, what challenges they've faced as uh, female and yoga entrepreneurs, and so much more. So without further ado, here's Sandy and Jennifer. I'm very excited to be joined on the podcast today by Sandy and Jennifer from Namastream and the Soulful MBA podcast. Welcome to the podcast, ladies. I'm so excited to be chatting with you guys today. Yeah. Thank you for having us, Amanda. It's nice to meet you virtually. Hi, Amanda. We're excited. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you as well. And we just found out that Sandy's actually only about an hour away from me, which is crazy. <laughs> 
I know. I was reading all your stuff and listening to you. I'm a traveler. I'm a traveler. So I expected you to be in Bali or Indonesia or something, and you're an hour away in Canmore from me. So that was very unexpected. <laughs> yeah, not not quite as an exotic location today, but still very beautiful. No, but pretty nice. Pretty nice. Yeah. So I was thinking that, I mean, there's so much I want to cover in this, but I was thinking a good place to start would be to back up a little bit and and talk about how you guys kind of first got into the yoga industry. Yeah, it's a good question. So uh, we both had gone through yoga teacher training programs a long time ago, and neither of us were practicing teachers. Um, and we met actually three years ago, almost exactly. I just saw our Facebook, mm-hmm. like, you've been friends for three years, little oh, videos little, start playing in yeah. my feed. <laughs> so we met at uh, a live event in Colorado for an entrepreneurship program that we had both been in that taught us how to start software companies. And I had started Namastream and Sandy had started another company, another software company called Connectable that's still going also. And um, so we met and we were some of the only women. And so we became fast friends in the tech space. When you are women in tech, you like bond with the other women. That is it. You are like kindred spirits. (laughs) Yeah, I could see that for sure. So, um, yeah, so I, the reason why I picked yoga as a space to start my software company in, um, and now we co-run it, we're co-founders, but I started originally because I had gone through yoga teacher training and I had a bunch of friends and studio owner friends who were teachers or studio owners, and they were struggling sort of on the business side. And I also just kind of realized that this industry was booming, that there was a lot of growth, that there are yoga studios popping up on every street corner in Seattle where I had been living. And I sort of felt like there was a mismatch between the the growth of the industry and sort of the ability of the people working within the industry to make a living. And I, and I felt like technology might offer some resources for that and some solutions. So I set about interviewing 75 studio owners and managers, and I ended up talking to 74. So almost, (laughs) I'm still like a little bit, you know, upset that I didn't do 75. And I just basically set out to have really open-ended conversations, trying to figure out what the biggest pain points were in their business models. And so I... I did that for several months. And through that process, the idea for Namastream came into being. Wow. That's amazing. That's so so cool to hear. Um, I have a friend who's a junior developer. So she's working in kind of like the engineering coding industry. And she's always like, man, being a woman in this industry is tough. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. There, there, you could talk about that all day. <laughs> and probably not stuff we want to talk about. It's kind of the like sad, terrible. Will not care. The tad, sad, terrible stories of the world. <laughs> yeah. I love hearing that though, because when I came into the yoga industry from a business background, I felt like there was such a miss with business. It's like people yeah. not making enough money, people not knowing how to make money. It's like teacher training is not really teaching teachers what it actually means to have a career as a yoga teacher. So when I first found you guys online, I was like, wow. You guys do exactly what I think there needs to be out there. (laughs) Ah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, we're one voice in, I think, an ever-growing sea of of folks just like yourself sort of sharing business tips and best practices. And I think there's still a lot lot of room for more of those voices as well. And I think we haven't all, you know, there's a lot of room for growth on the business side. I mean, I will just, to put it in perspective, I came, I'm a human rights lawyer by trade, and I came to this from sort of the nonprofit profit academic world. And I felt like that's an easier place to make a living than in the yoga space. And that's 
terrible. Like that's pathetic. So, you know, it was just really eye opening to see where all the opportunities lie and what the problems, the sort of unique problems facing yoga, um, because of, I think some of the mindset issues around the practice and around the business of, of running a yoga studio or even being an independent teacher. Yeah, definitely. And then for you, Sandy coming in, did you have a yoga background as well coming into Namastream? Yeah, one of the um, funny little things we discovered about each other when we first started talking was that we had both taken yoga teacher training years and years before with the intent of not to teach, but just as a deeper personal study. Um, so I had done a lot of yoga um, with Jeff Ma, who we just spoke about, who you already interviewed and work with. Um, my, my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I did like, I, I, yeah, it's so funny because he was one of my favorite teachers. And so I had a, a, a fairly frequent practice and then wanted to go deeper and took yoga and teacher training. So it, it was funny how it works out that that's just, when we talk to our clients, it gives us a lot of credibility that we have gone through the process and they most understand that, you know, we don't lose any by not having ever taught, um, but just have an interest and a love for that, um, um, for that knowledge and that, you know, ancient, <laughs> all the beautiful things about yoga that we love. So yeah, it was one of the really funny things to discover about ourselves. So yeah. when I, when I was going through the program that Jenny alluded to, I, I, she was recorded on one of the trainings, uh, uh, developing the screens for her software in the yoga space. And I, I didn't know her at the time. And I remember listening and she was describing what the software was for. And I was so, so jealous that, that she had developed yoga software and that I hadn't because it was like my thing and thing I loved. And why, why didn't I think of that? And then, so then, you know, months later I met her and then like a year later I'm working, working with her on this company. So yeah, I'm, I'm really, I think we're both very passionate about helping yoga teachers, um, you know, make the money that they deserve and, and the life that they want. Definitely. Yeah. That's, that's so amazing to, to hear and to just think about that, how, you know, it was something that you were thinking about and then you guys just happened to meet each other. It's almost like it was meant to be that you guys yeah. had found each other. Yeah. That's very much what it felt like at the time. And so for people who are listening, if they're not familiar with what Namastream is and what it's all about, can you just give a brief overview, the services you guys offer, the technology, that sort of thing? Sure. So we are a software platform that allows yoga teachers and studios to teach, train, and coach from anywhere on the planet to anyone else on the planet. So it's sort of an all-in-one virtual studio software. So it allows them to upload videos or audio files or workbooks, but also to live stream classes. And they can live stream private lessons, um, small group sessions like a teacher training program, or broadcast out a studio based class to anyone who wants to watch it. So it's really designed to sort of be almost a second studio, a second brick and mortar studio, but without the walls. So the problem that we found is that yoga teachers, um, they do amazing, beautiful things, but they don't know how to put their teaching online. And a lot of them, just the way the industry is going is that there's more and more demand for online learning and online courses. And the teachers, they know their stuff, but they sure don't know how to teach online. They don't know how to, <laughs> they don't know how to, the it's technology, it's intimidating and it's scary and it's not what they should be spending their, their time on. So the platform that we have takes that away from them. They can concentrate on teaching. They can simply upload their teaching and then sell it um, in whatever form uh, to, back to their students and their followers. Okay. That's awesome. And then, so if a teacher 
is like, okay, that sounds great. I would love to teach online. I don't know how to make YouTube videos. I don't know how to start a YouTube channel, et cetera, et cetera. All that stuff that goes along with trying to create a following online. What's the process for them to actually apply to become a teacher on Namastream? Yeah. So it's, it's basically just a wait list. It's a short, really short wait list right now, but just to get access to the software because we don't like to give out too, um, too many invitations in a single day just because we like to buffer kind of our servers. So um, right now it's a pretty short, we've had the wait be as long as two months and now it's just a couple of days wait to just apply. And as long as, as they're doing something that's legal and they're not violating copyright law or any other, well, that's a whole other conversation <laughs> yes, that we could get into. <laughs> this happens. Um, as long as they're not breaking the law, they're allowed to teach, right? So we, we're not deciding like, oh, are you a good enough teacher or not? No, this is your... We have everyone ranging from brand new teachers coming onto the platform to sort of very experienced seasoned folks who run multiple studios. So um, we also allow health coaches and fitness instructors and small boutique gyms and Pilates teachers and dance teachers. So it's it's started with yoga. It started with yoga studios and then branched out to yoga teachers. And now it's sort of anyone in the wellness space is really what is is what we work with. Although we're probably about 75% yoga. Okay. Awesome. That's really cool. So a teacher goes on and they start creating videos and then do they pay a fee to be a part of that? Or is there people who pay a fee to watch the videos or how does that process work? Yeah. So we, we sell the platform. So it's a monthly fee or an annual fee to have access to the platform. And then our teachers and studios get to charge whatever they want and they keep a hundred percent other than sort of like the Stripe or PayPal fees. That they have to pr- pay for credit card processing, but um, we don't do any kind of revenue share and we don't have any limits. So they can also just offer free products too. So a lot of studios like to offer a free membership online. Let's just say to entice other people in their community to kind of find them and learn more about them and learn about their teachers. Um, and we you we often encourage our independent teachers to offer free products as a way to build their email list and build their following online. So um, yeah, it's a flat monthly or annual fee to, and it depends on whether you're a teacher or a studio and then that's it. And then you can charge whatever you want. Wow. That's so cool. I love that idea. And it's, it's so interesting because it's kind of like, you know, there's so many different platforms that are doing things online, but it seems like it's a little bit different in the fact that if you're a teacher, you have this opportunity to come on and sell your stuff. It's not about, you know, have you been teaching for 15 years or, you know, is your name recognized? Are you popular on Instagram? It kind of gives more of an overarching um, platform for for any teacher to come on if they're, if they want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important yeah. to distinguish that it's not a marketplace, right? This isn't where a student comes and like looks and chooses a, you know, a, a, a yoga teacher that appeals to them. This is um, each individual teacher building their own business with their own followers, and that's why they get to keep a hundred percent of their of their um, revenue. We're not we're not part of that. This is their business, their name, their following. Um, it's a hundred percent their business. We are just the sort of powering it in the background with the right technology to make it as simple as possible for them. Oh, that's so awesome. I, I love that you guys have created that. That's really cool. And so what do you think like with the yoga industry in general, when you think about like what, how yoga teachers can make money, do you find that having a presence online is really necessary? 
I think increasingly so. I mean, obviously there are all, always going to be a, a portion, a segment of the market that doesn't want to teach online. And I think depending on where they live, that's either viable or it isn't, right? So we've actually seen quite a lot of our teachers come from more rural areas or remote areas just because they can't build a business in the small town or small community that they're in. There just simply aren't enough people. So that's been something I didn't expect. But um, that way, when they travel, they go teach a retreat somewhere or they go do a teacher training somewhere. They're able to involve those same students that live somewhere else in the world, or they're able to still work with students that moved away. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the key for a teacher, an independent teacher in particular, is to be able to have a very specific sort of niche product or program or service that they offer because the internet is a big place. And if you're specific enough and you're good at what you do, you're going to find other people in the world who have an internet connection, who are looking for what you're making, right? And I think that that is... We, we actually just recorded a podcast last month on the gig economy and how sort of the in the new economy, it, it doesn't matter where you live. You have access to resources anywhere in the world, right? So you don't need to just work with a graphic designer in your hometown. You can find the like a graphic designer overseas or somebody that's less expensive or somebody who's the best in the world and they live in London, for example. You have ultimate choice. And that's what I think students, yoga students have and people who are buying products from wellness entrepreneurs. They have that same sort of freedom. So it's not it, the benefit I think for any teacher, independent teacher starting out is to sort of figure out what sets them apart, what makes them unique, what what sort of encapsulates their unique genius and then to go and to build that and pour their heart into that and then to to you know work on finding the people in the world who that product is meant for. Yeah, you couldn't have put that better. Uh, or I couldn't have put that better, I guess I should say. Um I think it's really interesting to think about how many opportunities we have in 2017, not only as yoga teachers, but, or as people in the yoga industry, but also just being able to connect with people all over the world. Like I know we, for our travel podcast, we hired somebody who was in Russia to do SEO work for us and he just would work on his own hours and, you know, tell us how he was doing. And it's pretty amazing that we're able to do that. Yeah, it is. Our team is all over the world and we love that. We love that. We love that about our company. I mean, it's it's like a, an inherent quality of what we're about, right? And because our business is about helping other people to work with people all over the world. Yeah, definitely. And so where do you have people who are working for Namastream? Seattle, Calgary, Calgary Denver, <laughs> um, Eastern Europe, Pakistan. I mean, we, we've sort of had yeah. contingents all over the place. Um, trying to think. Minneapolis. <laughs> so a lot of... We're heavily North America. Um, but we also will work with folks overseas as well, especially for project-based work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just cool to be able to even hire people who are all over the country because getting good talent can be hard sometimes. And I feel like, you know, uprooting your life and moving to a new city is definitely a reason not to take a job sometimes. And that doesn't even have to be a factor in so many different businesses and jobs nowadays. Yeah, you know, after running this company and sort of work working the way that that we work now, I can't actually imagine being stationary somewhere and only working with the people in my 
immediate town or area. Like everyone, every single person in our team is like, we also will travel. One of us, one of our team members was traveling for like many weeks last summer and was at a cabin house sort of in the woods and was working from there. Right. Like it doesn't, as long as there's an internet connection, I moved because of this company. I had the freedom to relocate to an Island. I like dreamed of retiring on one day that has fiber optic internet now. So I can live here and run my software company from an Island. Right. And that's the beauty of the internet. And we have teachers who are all over the world, right? So it's actually really fascinating when we go into our analytics, it will just every month or two, Sandy and I will sort of like really geek out on going into the analytics of our site and be like, where, where, what are these people from like Ghana doing on our site right now? (laughs) You know, like what videos are they watching? Who's selling products to people in Ghana? You know, it's so cool to think about like you're a yoga teacher in, you know, Ottawa and you're selling yoga classes to somebody in Ghana. Seriously? How amazing is that? Right? Like that, the, but that's the entire ecosystem of our product is, is that. And, um, you know, anywhere that PayPal or Stripe works, basically you can sell somebody a product. <laughs> yeah. Which those must cover Beautiful. almost every country in the world now. Almost Africa and South America are not. There's parts of Africa that are frustrated with us because we don't incorporate certain payment processors that are Africa specific. So when you start a software company, you run into, there's always going to be something you can't, you know, somebody that you can't accommodate. And that's kind of frustrating. But yeah. We're like ready for PayPal to go into Southern Africa so that we can work with those. Folks. We just need cryptocurrency to get over to Africa. <laughs> I know. Seriously. Like it's anyway, but so, but for the most part, I mean, it's the whole world. They're, they're just like a, a handful of countries really that are unable to use, you know, to work within our product. Yeah, that's incredible. And so kind of along what you what you were kind of just talking about, what are some of the chal- like the biggest challenges that you've experienced as you've started this business, as you've watched it grow? That we've experienced or our clients have experienced? That you guys have have experienced. Well, <laughs> <laughs> this is hard. my, my, it's all my, it's, I mean, de- yeah. develop, yes. Running a software company, like we could we can. And in our podcast, we talk about this all the time. We get a little bit broken recordy and annoying, probably complaining about how hard this is. But you know, it's, it's like, I I like to think about like 49% of the time it's really hard. And 51% of the time it's amazing and the most wonderful experience in the world. Right. So it's hard because half the time it's terrible, you know, in terms of like, not, well, it's hard challenging, you know, like you don't want 49% of your minutes of your waking day to be really challenging, but sometimes that's how it is. Yeah. It's like, we we ideally want things to just be easy. I feel like that's innately as humans. Like that's why routine is good. Like we don't forget how to tie our shoelaces because learning that is hard when we're little. So it's like, we're never forgetting. That, um, so I totally yeah, get that. Yeah, I wouldn't change it for the world, right? So it's it's like the hard, the good hard of being rewarding, but um, but you know the other thing that I think is common, Sandy, between us and our clients is mindset stuff. Like we have we have a lot of of um, you know tricky sort of limiting beliefs and imposter syndrome feelings that happen. I think, um, and you know they're they're usually quick to pass, but they happen a lot because it's like that. Who am I to fill in the blank? Right. And I think that's common for women in particular. And it's common for people in our industry in particular, um, in, in, within sort of the wellness space and yoga in particular. Um, and we're not, you know, free from those things at all. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always, 
it's always humanizing to hear that somebody like you guys are really successful with your company. And it's humanizing to hear that you guys have had those experiences as well. I think it's just like we all go through that. It's like you go to launch something and you're like, oh, who am I to start this this business? Who's going to see this? And people start comparing. We're, you know, we're guilty of it as well that someone else is doing this or someone's already teaching this or there's already a course on this. So why do, why do we need to do this? And so we are constantly reminding our, our teachers that the world does need your voice and nobody's teaching it in your way with your experience and with your, you know, knowledge and background and skills. And so it, it may be taught a hundred different places, but no one's doing it with your own, you know, with the way that you are. So, and it's really important that that, that message gets out. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more with that. I think that, I think it's just important to know that you, whatever you have to offer, if you're passionate about it, you should just go for it. I mean, as long as you're not directly copying what somebody's doing, <laughs> then go for it. Yeah. And we focus a lot on helping our clients within Soulful MBA in particular. So a lot of our newer sort of folks who are newer to business will come through our Soulful MBA program before or, or as they're launching their Namastream site. Um, and we try to help people hone in on sort of the intersection of their core values and unique sort of passion and interests along with what the market needs, because it's both. It's, it's about doing what you feel called to do, but also if you're a business, making sure that you're making something that other people will pay for and figuring that out can sometimes take a little while. So you've got to sort of be invested in the process for, you know, like six to nine months to 48 months <laughs> in order to figure it out. But if you keep going, you'll find that sweet spot, right? Because I fundamentally believe that we all have some sort of art to make in the world, something to create and give that doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I for sure agree with that as well. And then in terms of your clients, what are some of the biggest challenges that you find that they struggle with coming from like the back end of Namastream and creating their, their businesses? I think they spend too much. There's, I could go on for half an hour on this question, but, um, because they, they come to us because they want the software and they want to teach online. We end up talking to them a lot and they end up often joining soulful MBA to solve some of these problems. So I talk to them a lot and I think um, a lot of them get stuck in not taking action. They will maybe create the videos. They'll maybe create their beautiful Namastream site and they'll change their logo and then they'll change it again. And then they'll talk to, um, ask a bunch of questions in the Facebook group and then they'll make another video and then they make another, pro- they don't actually launch it and they don't actually sell it and they don't actually market it. So there's a lot of like sort of staying small and sort of afraid to put it out in the, in the, out in the world and start talking to actual students and marketing to actual students. Um, the other, the other major thing is that they, they spend too much time on content creation and not enough on selling and marketing. And so we're always pushing people, um, pushing's maybe a negative word, but we're encouraging people to pick up the phone and talk to students. What do they want? What do they need? You know, make what the students are asking for, but get out there and market it. Talk about what you've done, put it on all over social and then put it all over social again. And then write another blog post about it and get on podcasts and do whatever you need to do to hustle and spread the word that you've created something really wonderful and that it's exists and it's for sale. So they struggle with the, the marketing and sales. Yeah. Do you think that some of that is about like creating something that they don't feel is like maybe perfect or they could do it better? Yes. Oh yeah. We hear that all the time. They're frozen. They're frozen. And that's the comparison thing, right? Like they'll see something, I don't know, on YouTube where someone else is already teaching it for free. And so why should they launch it? Well, they're, 
They'll look at Kodi app or Yoga Glow or places that are this professionally yeah. videography. Like it's just not real world. And I think the truth is that the students um, that who you know their students want their teaching. They don't want some fancy unknown person that they don't have a relation with relationship with on Kodi app. They want the person who they've practiced with, like with Jeff Ma. If Jeff mm-hmm. Ma was teaching online. I'd buy from Jeff Ma because I feel like I know Jeff Ma. He doesn't even know who I am ever, but like I, I feel like you know I know what he's like. I know what his style is like. I know who he is as a person. I would purchase from him over some stranger on Kodi app. And so I think they they lose that because they're comparing. I'm not as good. I don't look as good on camera. My background isn't. My lighting isn't as good. And so we really find that some of the raw, authentic, not perfect sells really, really well. And people aren't judging you on your lighting. They're judging you on what you are doing for them and the service and how they feel after the Yeah, the quality of your teaching you. and the the willingness to be vulnerable, I would say. Those are the things that are are really standing out. You know, we have a very prolific teacher who's also a personal trainer and a yoga teacher on our site. And she doesn't care. Like she just gets her phone out and films what she's going to do. It could be jumbly and imperfect and there's loud cars going by and she's like at the grocery store showing (laughs) what she's buying on the, on like the conveyor belt. And though people love it. And I think there's, it's the same reason people love Instagram stories and this, like, like people love the raw unedited stuff. And the fact that this person is showing up every single day with content, I think that it shows a commitment to her client base and it shows her, her ability to be vulnerable. And we have a bunch of these teachers that do this sort of, I'm in my pajamas making oatmeal. This is how I make my oatmeal (laughs) in the morning. Like people love it. And, um, and so I think some of it is just getting over yourself, right? Like we all have to do it. Do what, like, do I love getting on camera every week to go in on a Facebook live into our private client group? No, sometimes I don't feel like being on camera at all, but do I show up? Yes, because I have a commitment to these people to do that. And it doesn't matter that I'm feeling insecure with my haircut or whatever. (laughs) Like it's that I have to get over that because I'm a professional, right? And so I think we're trying to teach our community, you know, those same lessons that we're trying to teach ourselves. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's so important. And I mean, I heard somebody said one time, like, if you look back at the very first thing you ever put out with whatever content creation you do, so, you know, say it's your first podcast episode or your first video you make, if you don't cringe, you probably haven't improved that it's much. All bad. <laughs> it's all so bad. bad. Yeah. It's so bad. It's so bad. So yeah. Bad. Yeah. And that's okay. It's, 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 you should just sort of celebrate that badness. Because you know? you're never going mean, to get better if you don't make the bad ones. Like you can never get to where you want to go if you don't make the bad ones. Yeah, definitely. And I, I love the idea of just being, being real and being who you are. Cause I think that people can really relate to real people because the people who want to practice those classes or eat that food or do that workout, it's like they're people who feel like, you know, maybe I'm not good enough to do this yoga class because this person's in their perfect yoga clothes on their perfect yoga mat with their perfect yoga video. It's like when you see somebody just in their pajamas, you're like, okay, it's okay for me to roll out my mat and my pajamas and just be who I am. Yeah. I think the students love to peek inside your house and see where you as the teacher practice yoga or where you have your little meditation corner or your little altar. They love that little sort of voyeuristic view into your life. And you can really easily create that into, into your videos. 
it goes a long way. Yeah. I think that that's really interesting too. And I like, I like the fact that they have this back end that really helps them create that stuff and kind of pushes them to get it out. And then it's really up to them to, to market it and to get it out to their following. Yeah. I mean, we teach, like we have a 50, 50 rule that we started to work on with our clients, which is like 50% of your time is, is building and creating and figuring out what to make and packaging and pricing. And the other 50% of your time is selling and marketing. And that's like that. And when you're starting out is like showing up at local events, like hawking yourself at different like corporate events to do free yoga classes and giving out a card with your site's name on it. It's like picking up the phone and calling former students. Like it is having a checklist or a a clipboard with, you know, fill out your email address on here and teaching a free class in the park. Like it is hustle when you are first starting out. And then as you grow, you start to automate and systematize and do more stuff online. But the marketing side is not online at first and, um, it evolves into that. And so we're, and then once you've created a signature product, we encourage them to spend, you know, more like 80, 90% of their time marketing. And, and like, we, no, we can't do that for them because we're not them. <laughs> and we don't have, we would have to charge a lot more money for our, <laughs> if we were doing that. right. Right. So, so, but it's also a really useful skill to have in your life. Like we should all know how, I think in this, in this economy to market what we do and sell it because that's what gives us freedom. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think the mistake they make is that they build this great course, this great membership. Um, and then they wait, they just wait for someone to find it on the internet and it doesn't happen. So we really encourage them to start locally. Like what, who is in your inner circle? Who are your friends? Who are your family? Who are the, your existing students? And you start like with the immediate people around you to buy that online product. And then your circle kind of expands and expands and expands to get bigger and bigger so that you do are, you are capturing people who aren't in your geographical area, but it doesn't usually start like that. It starts with the immediate people around you. Who know and trust you. Yeah. It's, it sounds like such a good way to compliment if you're teaching in a local studio or if you're like traveling and doing workshops and stuff, because it's such a great way to be like, oh, you like what I'm putting out there. You like my class here. Here are my other offerings. Join me online. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. And they're usually grateful because people move, right? And they, you know, they want to, they're traveling to Europe and they still want to continue to practice with you. And so this allows them to, to access you wherever they are. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And then I was just thinking about, uh, I guess it would have been, would have been like early 2016. I was like, okay, I'm going to create a Udemy course, like beginners yoga. It'll be my first yoga course. And I totally had that experience where, you know, I think my audio is fine, but my video production kind of not that great. And then I put it on Udemy, which is a marketplace. And I was like, okay, now students come to me. And it was like one person showed up. <laughs> like, oh, I need to work for this, There's right? A whole other side to this. <laughs> My bad. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way that's sort of the way it works. But you know, I, I think the mistake that the thing that the thing that works is that you say, I got one person, or we'll have clients that will get three people their first week and they feel bad. And I'm like, You got three people, new strangers your first week? Do you understand how good you're doing? And and then you just keep going. I mean and we have we have a lot of conversation in our podcast about commitment and what it means to be an entrepreneur and the role that commitment has to play. And I think when you're going to invest the time and money into building a course or a membership site or any kind of online business, then you have to be committed to following it through. Like I would say at least one year, if not two years before you start 
to even think about changing your mind because you will not see any kind of magical results. 99.999% will not go viral, right? Like the, it, it takes just sort of the daily trudging through and learning what's working and what isn't doing more of what does work, doing less of what doesn't work. And then it starts to grow and then it starts to compound. Like once, like I can say three years in that I now see, you know, there's a, not like a real hockey stick going up, but you'd start to see your efforts compound when you have like a hundred blog posts that are SEO optimized out on the internet, you start to see a lot more traffic and more traffic and more traffic, right? But it, but like the first year of blogging, zero results, like nothing. Like, but it's a daily or a weekly commitment to producing a quality blog post every week for a year. And I said, after one year, I'm going to revisit and think about whether this was worth it, both for me personally and for our business, right? But I will not give up at all for an entire year because I know that I'm unlikely to see results regardless of how good our blog is for a year, right? So, and I think that mm -hmm. that commitment thing also wavers. Like we start to, I think our ego gets hurt because we don't see some sort of magical outcome with glitter and fireworks right away. And then we feel a little bit of shame or embarrassment. And we all have those feelings as entrepreneurs all the time. And, um, the, the key is to pushing through that and not letting that be what determines your life and your business. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a, a lot of chatter online about people with claims about making passive income and, you know, $20,000 a month. And, and that's all great. But what Jenny just described is what really happens in online business. That is not instant oh, or gosh. it's a very rare case if it is. So I think people do beat themselves up when they don't reach these spectacular monthly goals or weekly goals. Um, but yeah. yeah, you've got to be in it. But if you're nine months in, you know, you've worked really hard and not seen a lot. And then we start to see our clients six, nine, 12 months in start to be able to pay their mortgage with what they're bringing in, right? Like then you start to see the impacts or start to, if a studio starts to make the equivalent of what it makes with one of its teacher training programs through its online site, right? They invested all this time filming for a year and putting content out there and you know, putting posts on Instagram or whatever, and they don't see a whole lot of return. But then one year in, you start to see the fact that, wow, this is equivalent to what I bring in from a teacher training program, which is the highest revenue boost for my business. Wow. Okay. But it takes those people who are willing to sort of put in the work without seeing the results right away. And I think that's rare. That's rare in any business. It's like, doesn't matter that it's yoga or not yoga. It doesn't matter. Like this is, I mean, we, we just see it in software too, because we mentor other software entrepreneurs sometimes. And, um, between Sandy, between you and I, we've mentored probably like 200 software entrepreneurs and people in the startup space. And it's the exact mm -hmm. same thing with them, right? It's, it's no different. I think it's like human nature in general. And I, I don't know why we're like this. It'd probably be a whole conversation around like human psychology and way the brain works. But I think in general, it's like we look for that kind of like that quick return. I mean, you get it with, you, you see it all the time with food. It's like this debate of like, do I eat the candy or do I not eat the candy? Cause I'm going to feel really good if I eat the candy right now, but I'm going to feel kind of shitty if I eat the candy, like, you know, an hour and a half from now, my body's going to go, why did you eat that? It's like, we want this really quick return on everything that we do, which is I think why a lot of people either don't complete those things or they go back to, full-time jobs because you get this paycheck. It comes in every two weeks. It's regular. You have benefits. You've got healthcare. You've got all this stuff that you don't get when you're doing a side hustle where you're working full-time for yourself and you've got to just like keep pushing towards that for that to happen. 
That's the same thing as in, uh, I I had like a 20 year career in in clinical gait analysis and saw patients for, for all those years. And it's the same thing that when people are injured, they just want someone to fix them. They just quickly want to return to where, where they were. And I know in the, in the the yoga teachers know what I'm talking about because people don't want to put in the effort to actually make themselves stronger or, you know, do the work physically to get, to get that, um, pre-injury result. And it's the same in business that we just, like you said, want it instantly. And I think we need to redefine that whole term of passive income because it's really like front-loaded income or you do the work that Jenny was just talking about. You do the filming and you do all the marketing and you wait and you wait and you continue to work and you continue to work. And then there's some tipping point where their, their money does start to come in and now the work is done and there's something that sits on your shop page that can sell and you've done the work. You don't have to see that client and in, in, in exchange for money for that hour, that client can watch that video at any time in the day. So the work is done up front and then you see the income come later. Yeah. I think there's so many benefits too, especially in the yoga industry to having a second stream of income. And I just kind of connected with that. As you said, injury, it's like as a yoga teacher, we use, we use our bodies. If what happens if we get injured, you know, if That's you get true, yeah. in a car accident or you're walking down a mountain and you slip and fall and you bust your ankle, you could be out of work for six, eight weeks. Yeah. yeah. We talk about it actually with our studios, like, um, because we have a little bit of a different process and, and sort of a marketing situation. And, and we have a different relationship to our studio clients versus our teacher clients just in general, because they're different kinds of businesses. But with our studio clients in particular, we talk to them as their virtual studio being an insurance policy. It's almost like an ad- additional insurance policy for the studio, because if a new studio pops up next door or a big corporate yoga studio pops up in town, we all know what happens, right? There's a little bit of siphoning off that happens or somebody offers a group on that month or, you know, in, in some cases in, in cold weather climates in the Northeast US, we have like Boston will have studios closed for a week in, in January, which is their best month, right? And you want to be able to have an insurance policy for when those things inevitably happen to your business. So a virtual studio is just an additional tool that you can leverage when you need it. And in, t- in my mind, if you invest all the time now, you know, three years from now, your studio catches on fire and burns down. <laughs> you have something that didn't burn down. It's an insurance policy, like it, like one for one. And so I, I think even for teachers, as you're saying this, if you get injured, you can't teach. It's, I, I hadn't thought about it that way, but, but I think you're right. It's, it's a, the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for studio owners as well, it's a really good point. Like, you know, so many studios are in building complexes, like the yoga lounge in Canmore is like that. If that building has a fire, I mean, the studio will be shut down for a number of months, if not, if not longer than that. So having somewhere where your students can keep practicing is so important. Yeah. You know what? Our very first studio was in Baltimore and, um, that we brought online. And I remember, uh, there was an infectious disease outbreak, um, in Africa that, uh, like in Baltimore, it's close to Johns Hopkins. And a lot of the people that went to this particular studio were flying to Liberia, um, to treat this infectious disease. And, um, like we're on quarantine when they came back and they couldn't practice oh my and God. the owner <laughs> just sort of offered anyone who had traveled and who was doing work at Johns Hopkins with this particular disease situation to be able to practice online. And that's just a small, very localized example, but it just sort of tells you sort of the benefit of, and they got a lot of great local press for this, right? Because they're offering free yoga to, to these physicians and nurses and medical care personnel that couldn't leave their home. And, um, and there's a lot of really interesting opportunities to, to do 
service-based work like that when you, when you have an online presence. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you, you kind of mentioned this before, but what are the most, I guess, successful marketing tactics that a teacher who is on Namastream can do? I know you mentioned going to local events, teaching classes. What other things have you seen teachers do that have been successful? Leveraging YouTube is a big one. So we have a lot of teachers that also have a YouTube presence. And because Google owns YouTube, right, it's built in like amazing SEO. And there's surprisingly not a ton of teachers and studios on YouTube. Like it's, it's actually sort of amazing to me how few teachers or studios have more than say 15 videos. And, um, I think that's a really powerful way to sort of begin to, to market and practice with people in a, a free way in a, in a safe way and then get discovered. And then, um, we encourage our teachers to sort of have a, a call to action at the end of a video and in the video's description that says, if you want a full practice with me, you know, come into my virtual studio. And that's worked really well. Um, I, you know, and it depends on the teacher, right, Sandy? We actually are, are about to launch a social mm-hmm. media summer camp where we're trying to help our, our clients figure out and our community figure out where to focus on social. And some of our teachers do really well on Instagram and run their entire business through Instagram. And some don't. And it just, I think it depends. Like some people are like, if they're bloggers, um, that, like using Pinterest, for example, as a way to find students is a really powerful thing to do. But if you don't have a blog, then it sort of doesn't work. Right. So I, I think it's, it's hard cause I can't give you a specific answer cause it's so nuanced. Um, but I would say like what Sandy talks about a lot with our clients, especially beginners is this in-person networking. And I think like picking up the phone, Sandy, we talked about this before in a training and, and like f- yeah. phoning small businesses in your community that have like 30 to 70 employees and saying, can I come in and teach a lunchtime yoga class? And then hawking your online studio at the end of that, you know, that's the kind of stuff you, you can do that has, it can have a potentially, you get 10 new students out of that. And you know, you give one hour for free, you get 10 new students from that day. Right. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of, um, when, when you start your online business, you think everything has to be done online because that's just, that's just how it is. But we really, um, have a big networking, in-person networking component to our message that it starts local and it starts with who you know. But whatever you choose, whether you're going to be a, you know, really prolific on YouTube or Instagram or in person, the whole point of all that is to grow your email list. So whatever platform that you choose, the goal is to get people on your email list. And once they're on your email list, we strongly suggest that our teachers are sending out something ideally weekly, consistently, consistently every week, every week, every week, or if that's too much, maybe every second week. But we really want to do it. So that's the way you build. Yeah. (laughs) Weekly, weekly, weekly. Um, those are, those are the teachers we see who consistently start to build, um, a following and, um, some growth in sales because they, like Jenny said earlier, they show up, they show up every week for their students with new content, new tips, new ideas, um, whatever it is. But that email list is the thing that they own. That is their whole business is, you know, kind of defined if you will, by that email list. So, um, as opposed to, you know, come to my, come by this. It's no, come and join my email list. And from there, I'm going to nurture you and love you and educate you and inspire and motivate. And then ultimately that will end at some point in a purchase when that client is ready or that student is ready. 
Yeah, that's that's amazing. That definitely answered that question. There's so many different ways that you can do it, which is cool. I like that it's not just like, okay, you have to do it this way to be successful. And I mean, that's so much of the yoga industry is just like that. But there's so many different ways that you can kind of take your business, which I mean, that's what I like about the industry. <laughs> and so shifting a little bit to... I guess like finding your tribe online, I feel like having community is so, so important regardless of what you do. But I find that having a community in yoga can be really amazing. And um, we've kind of talked a little bit about this, but what do you feel like are the biggest benefits to having an online tribe? Well, that's who's, that's who's going to pay the mortgage. Um, that's, there, there's a couple, couple answers to that. So one, they're going to be your consumer. So the, your tribe, I would define the tribe as someone who would do anything for you and follow you anywhere and buy a book that you say you're going to write, but haven't yet written or a product that isn't quite released. Like they're this ultimate kind of fan. Um, so they're going to be the ones who spread the word and be those early purchaser purchasers, but it's also, that's who you serve, you know, and whether they actually buy for you from you or not, you're still doing good work in the world and you're still making an impact on, um, you know, many, many, many lives. So that's to me, that's the, that's, that's, you need to step up and be the leader of that tribe and that's your job. Yeah. I think that that's great. And then do you have anything else that you want to add to that? Yeah. I, I also would say that they're your sounding board. So with our software, we don't make our software. We don't add new features. We don't do anything related to the actual product in a vacuum ourselves. Like Sandy and I don't just sit here and think like, what new features should we add today? Every single thing that we create is customer driven. So when like three or four or five people email us and say, you know, it'd be really great if this button actually did this other thing, you know, then we take that to heart and we, we do that. And, and I think that's the way we serve them is by being responsive that way. But it's also how we decide what to make. You know, live streaming is something that we added into our platform within the last year. And it was something that we 100% did not want to do because of the technical complexity. Um, but we did it because it was the most requested feature, right? And so we talked, we had so many conversations with our teachers about why they wanted it, what they wanted it for, the different scenarios that they wanted to use it for, right? Like, And so we made it. And I, I, I think it's fundamentally... Our, our success is fundamentally tied to the fact that we have a tribe that we can go to and ask, what do, hey, what do you all need? How do you need that to be delivered? What does it look like? And then we go make it and give it to them, right? That's what, that's what business, that, like, that's what successful businesses do. And I think for our teachers, that's something they can learn as well, which is like, don't sit here in your room with your like fancy glitter pen and your notebook. <laughs> You know, or sit out in your garden and dream. I mean, do that for yourself, but don't make your business from that alone because that is like the, that's the first rule. Like, don't do that. Do that and then, then, then burn it. You know, like do that as like a cathartic exercise and then take it to a candle and burn it and then go to your students and your followers and your tribe and your, your, you know, online community and your in-person community and ask those people what they need and then make that. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. I think that kind of connects to, I always think about like the yoga sales funnel and how, you know, the sales funnel doesn't have to be like greasy car salesmen and how it's like when people like your classes and they come consistently, it's like, they like something that you're doing. They like you. And it's like, you know, find out what else they want from you and then sell them that. Yeah. Like that's how you're going to make money. And it's not, 
I don't know. I feel like sometimes, especially in the yoga industry, cause it's like there's spirituality and there's this, this karma aspect. And it's, it's like, you can still make money to put a roof over your head and feed yourself in a non greasy way. You're not trying to sell some, somebody something that's not like authentic or unethical, or at least hopefully you're not doing that. Um, but it's like, you're just selling them something that they want. So our, our, instead of car salesman. We use Empress. We, ch- we choose to be Empresses of our digital empire. And that's what we're teaching our students. So, um, you are the, like, I keep coming back to this concept of like leading. Like if you are the teacher and you have a body of work, you need to, to impact the world with, then you need to step up into that leadership role and be the Empress of your empire. And that means attracting the people who need you the most. That means doing good work, not just for money. Yes, you're going to get a fair exchange um, for the work that you do, but you're doing it because this is what drives your soul. And um, I I have this beautiful image of like le- being an empress and leading my empire. And yeah, the, the empress should get paid and the empress should get paid fair for what her work is worth. Yeah. Period. There's, there's no uh, free. There's no more free. There is there is, uh, I will help you and I will put out fantastic content and, and yes, free, free, you know, opt-ins and, you know, stuff on social media, but I also charge for my work and I charge fairly and I do not feel guilty or bad about receiving the money. Right. It's just a trade. It's a straight up trade. I, I think, so yeah. I, no so reason. I think what clouds karma and energetic relationships the most is resentment. And so the last thing anyone wants from you is for you to resent them because you didn't charge what you're worth. And this is really hard for me. This is like, this is, I'm saying this not, and like, I have to tell myself this hourly because it crushes me, you know, just because I, I don't ever charge anyone for anything. I come from the nonprofit space where I'm actually not used. I, I like was not used to anyone that I served ever giving me money. Like the money just came from a foundation or somewhere like the people that I was serving should never have to pay me anything. Right. So I've had to unlearn a lot of that to work within this space. And I think that you have to like every time you're doing pricing or you're thinking about your own business and, and whether you should charge or how much to charge for something, you need to think about if I charge X amount, will I resent this person in some way? Like if they're going to, if I, if I teach this person a private lesson and I charge this amount, will I feel okay about it? Now think if they email me a question after our private session, will I resent them because I didn't charge them enough? Like run through those scenarios in your mind and that will help you figure that out. Um, I mean, seriously, like this, this yoga space in particular is full of resentment. It's full of people not feeling like they're getting what they deserve. I know this, like all I, and I'm sure you do too, Amanda, like all I do for years and years is is work with and talk with people in our market. And there is a lot of negative energy. And I think in part that is due to the fact that we are all pretty bad at charging what we're worth. And so we're just perpetuating this unhealthy behavior. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that that's very true. It's, it's this idea of like, oh yeah, well, if you can't afford it, I'll just, you know, charge you this amount. And then you're like, well, I have to drive and I have to prep. And yeah. well, now I'm only getting like 10 bucks an hour. I might as well, you know, work at Starbucks. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Starbucks, you probably make more money in most <laughs> places than 10 bucks an hour. And then it or, kind of becomes resentful to the practice. Yeah, That's right. That, and you, but you film it and you say, you know what, you can buy this for $20 a month. <laughs> Yeah. And then you don't have to drive anywhere. 
Yeah, definitely. And I, I love your analogy as well, Sandy, of the Empress. I think that that's, that's such a great way to, to think about that. As you were saying it, I was imagining all of us with like, so you, doesn't it make you feel good? Yeah. yeah. I was like, I've got a crown on and I'm leading my people. I'm doing nothing unethical. Amanda just got her head, her hands on her head with this big crown. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think it's, a, and that's sort of, we're trying to reframe the thinking around that because there is a lot of negative connotation with online sales, especially like online. Um, and we really want to change that because there's the it, online is amazing who you can reach and what you can do and how you can live your life. Um, and so we want to redefine that into something really beautiful and magical and powerful and something that people want to do, not shy away from. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to be mindful of you guys' time. Do you have uh, time for one more quick question? Yep. Sure. Awesome. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your podcast because um, you do you talk a lot about the business side of yoga. It complements really nicely with what you do with Namastream and just let listeners know, you know what they can get from that. Yeah. So we run the Soulful MBA podcast and we don't talk a lot about this. <laughs> I mean, hard to describe. We don't really talk a lot about business. We talk about the topics that are are like sort of calling to us, right? So we talk about things like money and insecurity and growing a tribe and being committed. We talk about more sort of the mind, I would say it's more mindset focused. Um, like we'll drop tactics in there. We'll drop mm -hmm. some like tactical thinking, but I think it's really, I think what we feel is missing from the sort of online business entrepreneurship conversation in general are these deeper conversations about meaning and what drives our behavior and our thinking. And we both sort of are committed to a reading practice and we try to read a lot of books together and then talk about them on the podcast as well. So that's, I, I mean, <laughs> it's sort of like our private reading club, but it's also a place to have the like longer, more thoughtful conversations about what motivates us to do what we're doing and, and why we're building a company that the, in the way that we are. I mean, we're a bootstrapped female founded software startup in the wellness industry. Like there's nobody else like this. And so we, in, in a way we sort of play with the fact that we have this incredible freedom because we don't fit into any box. So we sometimes talk about the fact that we're female founders and sometimes we talk about, um, you know, I'm trying to think, Sandy, what is our podcast? Like our podcast one, I think is the most downloaded. Yeah. Or networking. People like networking. Yeah. That's or, Sandy's foray into sort of talking about getting local business. Yeah. We talk about sort of where to focus your time and energy if you want to be successful, but also kind of some of the mindset strategies to incorporate into your own vision of entrepreneurship. Awesome. Yeah, that it, sounds great. It's really fun. And it's, I think it, it works because Jenny and I are in the trenches We're it's, we're not sitting on a, a, a trillion dollar, um, you know, empire that, we've built. We are in the trenches day by day making this company work. And so we are maybe one or two steps ahead of our teachers and our clients. And so we can maybe bring some, you know, wisdom to the conversation and some humor about what we're experiencing and what we're struggling with. And the feedback that we got is that people are really enjoying the kind of conversational tone and the honesty and the authenticity. Um, and people have said it's like sitting around a kitchen table and listening to some girlfriends talk, you know? So it's something we're super passionate about. And I think it's probably our favorite part of the week is when we get to do our podcast together. Oh my gosh. I love that. And so what book are you guys reading right now? Tech, well, tech. we just, the next one we're recording a podcast on is called deep. So it's okay. it, deep, deep work. work. So the podcast is called deep, but the, the book is Cal Newport. Oh! 
See, Amanda's holding up the book, right? So that's oh it's, pro- it's propping it's, my it's propping my microphone up to so an appropriate funny. level right now. That's so magical. See, there's some sort of wonderful other element going on wow. here in this conversation. Yeah. So we we read a lot of business books, but we also read like sort of philosophy books. I'm trying to think of. Uh, the next one in queue, we have one about like sort of women in tech yeah, that we're, Geek Girls Rising. It, it's called Geek Girls Rising that, right that we're going to do a podcast on as well. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I also have, I think we should do one on authority, Sandy, because we just spoke um, at a mastermind at the ConvertKit conference last weekend, mm-hmm. Craft and Commerce. And Nathan Berry gave us a copy, gave everyone a copy of his book, That's authority. a great idea. Yeah. So we should do a podcast on authority yeah. and listen to us we'll planning our podcast on your podcast <laughs> while we're on your podcast. Yeah. But it's sort of, we just love like, it. Hey, what do you want to read right now? And then we'll just be like, Oh, let's order it right now. And then we read it. We always sort of have one or two going and it's not like we shape our podcast yeah, necessarily. The Sometimes books. they're just sort of like woven into our conversations, but, um, like the last one we yeah, just, I, I mean, we just recorded one about, uh, called cheap and it's a whole concept like free versus cheap. Like do like things, you know, like selling yourself, selling your product, selling yourself. God, don't do that. Selling your products for really cheap, <laughs> um, or, you know, giving away too much for free. So we kind of battle, you know, toss that one around and then, um, come up with some ideas on how to be more comfortable at pricing stuff, uh, you know, more accurately. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's cool that you guys talk about so many different things and just what's relevant to your life and your business and that sort of thing. It's really all about us. It's what, what do we feel like today? Seems to work though. Sometimes it's late at night with a glass of wine when our children are doing something else or in bed. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's, it's sort of like what we do. I think it's similar to what a lot of our clients do, but we also have that, the other part that's like running the software company part and it can be a little bit heavy. And so we need to have something in our business that's not heavy. So for those, cl- for those people in your mark, in your audience and in our audience who are like really struggling with the technology or the marketing or like in our case, like our teachers are having to learn videography skills and video editing. And that's heavy, especially at the beginning. I remember the first time I went into iMovie and I cried. I literally cried. And now it's like no big deal, but I cried at first because it's hard. And you need to have something in your business. I think whether it's a blog or a podcast or a Facebook live show or something that is light and that brings you joy that you can pencil into your work week and into your business that is going to serve you, whether or not it even touches anyone else. Like you need to have something that is really something you can look forward to. Yeah, definitely. I really like that. And I think that there's something kind of inevitable about creating something that's just very like selfish and that you really like, like people vibe off that energy. Like people really like that sort of stuff. So it's like, just, just keep doing it. (laughs) Oh, we will. (laughs) And so where can listeners go to find out more about everything that you, you guys do? Yeah, the best place is just our website, our main site, which is namastream.com. And there's links on the top of that site to learn more about the software, to learn about our podcast, to le- to read our blog. Our blog is very tactical. So if you're really interested in geeking out on the Google Keyword Planner, you can learn how to use it in there. You know, if you want to learn any technical skills about videography or social media, we try to produce content on that. That's not as fun as our podcast. <laughs> podcast is also there in the header. And we're also on Instagram at Namastream and we're on Facebook at Namastream Software. So awesome. Come find us. Yeah, that's amazing. And I've been subscribed to your newsletter for a number of months now and I you guys send so much great content out. I actually have so many of them just starred because I'm like, I can't, I'm like, I need to like sit down and indulge all of this stuff. So for listeners out there, yeah, yeah. Get on, get on the newsletter because there's so much good stuff coming out from that. 
Thank you. That's awesome. You, I'm glad friend. people read it. I'm always like, are people really reading? What am I doing this for? Like every Thursday night of my life. <laughs> I feel I you. Somebody's reading this. <laughs> I'm reading. <laughs> I'm sure awesome. lots of other people are as well. I mean, you see the opens, right? But you're like, are they just like going through their inbox and opening everything? Or are they really reading it? And you can't really know an email. <laughs> yeah. At some point that technology will come out. I'm sure the it, it has to. An email is coming. I know it. And then I don't know. I don't know if I really want to know. I sort of like to pretend that everyone that opens our newsletter is reading it. But, you know, we all probably will all benefit from the analysis when it does come out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you guys. You're amazing. I love what you guys are up to. And I can't wait to see more of what you're what you're doing in the coming months and years. Thank you, Amanda. It was really yeah, nice you, to Amanda. meet you. Yeah, you too. All right. There's the interview with Sandy and Jennifer from Namastream and Soulful MBA. I hope that you guys learned as much from that episode as I did, and I hope that you really enjoyed it. As always, you can find the show notes up on www.mbomyoga.com. You can find links and things that we talked about as well as that's the best place to subscribe to the newsletter. Join me over on social media at Mastering the Business of Yoga on Facebook and Instagram. And just a quick reminder, join the private Facebook group called Yoga Business Badasses. I'd love to see you there. As always, thanks so much for listening and namaste.